So if you're here today for the very first time, we are in week two of a new series that we began last week, starting in the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, Brittany, I am so sorry. I'm going to just warn you right now, sweetie, we are going to go all over the map. Like Colossians really is just base camp. And we're going to go hiking and exploring all different places from the base camp of Colossians chapter one. All right, let us pray. And then we'll jump into Colossians chapter one. Father, thank you so much for the ministry and the activity and the presence of the Holy Spirit who has been here. Holy Spirit, we love you so much. We welcome you. We honor you. We acknowledge that you are here, present with us, the dynamic movement of the Trinity here, working and moving in our midst. Jesus, thank you for revealing the reality of who God is to the earth and to us particularly. And we pray today that you would, that you would animate the scriptures to us, that you would breathe on them afresh and anew, that you would reveal truth to us that draws us into the life of the Trinity, that draws us into Christ-likeness and the life of God. We pray these things together by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 8 as we take another step in this wonderful book together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, number one, and we have heard of the love that you have for all of God's people. Number two, two things there. We have heard of your faith in Christ. We have heard of your love for all of God's people. Verse five, the faith and the love that spring from or that are generated by or that are produced by the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, this gospel is bearing fruit and it is growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day that you heard it and truly understood God's grace and all of its truth. You learned this gospel, you learned this hope from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, verse eight, and who also told us of your love in the spirit. Man, such rich words here in Colossians chapter one, verses one through eight. Today, we're gonna to be talking about growing in love growing in love. And I want to just situate this for those of you who are new to the book. Essentially what's taking place right here is Paul is not in the city of Colossae. He's never visited this city. So the Colossian church is actually planted by one of Paul's spiritual sons or one of his students in the faith, a young man by the name of Epaphras. So Epaphras is sent out by Paul he goes back to his hometown here, the city of Colossae, and he preaches the gospel. And as we're gonna discover later on in our series, the gospel produces fruit. 
So Epaphras preaches the gospel and in the gospel is the reality of the hope that is laid up for you, that is laid up for me. And when the people of Colossae hear this gospel, the gospel does what the gospel does. The gospel reveals the reality of who Jesus is. It, it awakens a hope inside of these people in Colossae. People start getting saved and a church is planted. And then... Epaphras walks with these new believers for a season of time, helps to get them founded and established and grounded and secure in their faith. And then he goes back to Paul who's in prison and he has a reporting session. Paul, man, I preached the gospel. I did it just like you taught me to. Man, I discipled these young believers just like you taught me to. And man, great things are happening. And here's what I wanna hone in on in verse four. Here's the report that Epaphras brings back to the apostle Paul. Paul says, we have heard of particularly three things here. Number one, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Number two, we have heard of the love that you have for all of God's people. And number three, we have heard of the hope, the hope. Now faith and love are actually springing from something. Look at that verse right there in verse five, the, the faith and the love that are springing from the hope which is stored up for you in heaven, which you have already heard about. Three core components of Christian fruitfulness that are found right here. Turn with me if your Bibles, just one second, if you would, over to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, Jesus is beginning to talk to his disciples about some very serious matters before he transitions from his earthly ministry. He's about to lay down his life. He's about to be crucified. And before he does that, he has one of the most intense and intimate discipleship moments with his students. In John chapter 15, verse eight, this is what he says. He says, guys, this is to my father's glory. This is what brings my father glory, that you bear much fruit. Christy mentioned this earlier in her offering exhortation that a tree is known by its fruit. That's straight from Jesus's mouth. And essentially what he's saying is the proof is in the pudding, right? If you want to know if someone really is seriously following after God, you're going to start to see that evidence in their life. You're gonna to start to see proof of them following in this new way. You're gonna see proof that the spirit of God himself is living in someone's life. Now, let me say this. It doesn't mean that we're not gonna have struggles. It doesn't mean that elements of our old man or our old nature are completely done away with. That is not what that means. I liken it to this. So if you, if you purchase a home, and when you go purchase that house, you look in the backyard and the backyard is full of weeds, right? Because of mismanagement, because of poor management, or because of no management. A.W. Tozer said this in his book, the, uh, the Pursuit of God. He says, the nature of weeds is that weeds just grow. If you don't tend to something, if you don't cultivate soil, weeds grow. It's the nature of weeds. It's what they do. Weeds grow and weeds grow in our lives, in our thought life, in our attitude, in our speech, in our behavior. So Paul is not saying that fruit means that you no longer have weeds in your life. You go into, you purchase a new home, you look in the backyard, it's full of weeds. Now it's under new management. 
right? Now we begin the long, slow, steady process of cultivating the soil, of removing weeds and planting good seed. And over the course of time, what you'll find is good fruit, more fruit, less weeds. And this is a lifelong process. And here's what Jesus is saying, guys, if you want to bring the Father glory, commit your life to being fruitful people. Look at this verse right here in John 15, 16. John 15, 16. You did not choose me. I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and say it with me, bear fruit. The mark of our lives in God is that we are people who bear fruit fruit. What kind of fruit? Colossians 1, 3, 4, and 5. Say it, say it right here. The fruit that Epaphras is reporting back to Paul. The fruit that Paul makes mention of. The fruit that we as modern day believers ought to set our gaze upon is very simple. It's the fruit of hope. It's the fruit of faith in Christ. And it's the fruit of love for all of God's people. Yeah. Now, I want to entertain your imagination here for a few minutes. And I want you to consider what he is not saying. I want you to consider here for a moment, if we had time and I had a whiteboard and we were in a classroom and we could walk this through and I could ask you for answers. We're not gonna do that right now, but, but if we were to do that, and if I were to ask you this, what is Paul not saying is a mark of Christian fruit? We could say things like how much Bible we know. It's not a fruit of following Jesus. Right? We could say how spiritual you are, how powerful you appear to be. That's not the fruit that Paul is talking about. He said, that, that's great. Those elements could serve you well, but those are not the elements of Christian fruitfulness that, that I'm looking for. That's not the standard. That's not the core criteria. It's not how well you sing. It's not how many times you've read the scriptures, not how many mission trips you've gone on. Let me just really stir the pot here. It's not what president you did or did not vote for. It's not whether or not you uh, got your particular way politically. Paul's not saying that that is a mark of Christian fruit. I hope you guys are hearing what I'm saying and what I'm not saying today, right? The mark of Christian fruit is your love, watch this, for all of God's people. Yes. I mean, can we look right here at verse four again? Can we just put our eyes? We might just leave verse four up there until, you know, we'll just bounce back and forth because we have heard of your faith in Christ and the love you have for all of God's people. The love that you have for, say it with me, all of God's people. Something has happened to American Christianity. Something has crept into American Christianity, which says, if you believe like I believe, if you vote like I vote, if you look like I look, if you've been to the same kinds of places that I've been to, if you wear the same kind of clothes that I wear, if you order the same kind of lattes that I order, <laughs> right? I had a buddy of mine, man. We were, we were, uh, we were at this gathering and, um, 
he was a little hood man. He was he had a little bit of hood inside of him, and we're yet this coffee bar, and he's like, "What is this oak oak creamer?" He's like, "Y'all are so bougie around here, oak creamer." <laughs> so funny, but we do this with everything. Something has crept into the American church that says essentially we are able to be in fellowship if you agree with me, if you think like me, if you look like me, if you sound like me. And Paul, look at this again. We're going to just we're just going to hone in on this. The love that you have for all of God's people. God has a dream. Then his dream is that the church be full of different people. That's his dream. That is his dream. This morning, I leaned over to Christy, and I don't know why, Zach and David, but like for the first time, I caught revelation. I was like, we got two Chinese people on our stage. That's awesome. <laughs> it's just, it was just silly, but it made me really happy. Turn with me, if you would, Galatians chapter four. It's just to the left of Colossians here. It's another letter that Paul wrote, but in Galatians chapter, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter three, Brittany, verse 26, Galatians 3, 26. We're gonna finish out the chapter. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. You are all children of God. Whether you believe in the tongues or not, you're all children of God. Whatever your views on premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial, you are all children of God. Whatever your substitutionary atonement theory is, you are all children of God. Black, white, yellow, brown, we're all precious in the sight, right? I, I messed that song up, but we are all children of God. Whatever part of town you live in, went to college, didn't go to college, we are all children of God. Then it says right here, verse 27, for all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave, nor free, nor male, nor female, for you are all, say it with me, one in Christ Jesus. God has a dream that his church would be full of different people. We've said this before, and I think it just hit me this morning as I was just chewing on this again and again. I was like, I've been saying for years that the church is not a homogenous unit. And it was like the Holy Spirit said to me, they don't understand what that means. I don't even understand what homogenous means. Why are you using this word? If my daughter can't understand this, don't preach it. God is dreaming of a church full of different People, young, old, male, female, all animated and activated by the life of God's spirit who are in love with God and who love one another. This is the fruit that Epaphras comes back to Paul and he says, hey, listen, a real, authentic Christian church has established roots in the city of Colossae. What is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? Who, is it? who do they vote for? No. Epaphras, tell me, tell me, how do we know that they're going to make it? It's easy, Paul. They love each other. They love each other. And look at verse eight in chapter one of Colossians. Verse eight, who also told us of your love. Look at this, in the spirit. So I want to talk with you here for a few minutes 
about how to live out this love for one another. This love for one another. I've taken this straight from a book by a guy named Scott McKnight. And uh, if you wanna read anything on just a good, solid theological level that hits almost every topic in the world, read anything by Scott McKnight. One T, S-C-O-T McKnight. This book is called A Fellowship of Difference. And he has a whole section here where he talks about the fact that we're called to love one another. And he talks about how God has formed his church, Jews, Gentiles, people that were free back in the ancient world, people that were slaves. They all came together and they all comprised the church of Jesus. N.T. Wright says this about loving one another. He says that when we talk about here in verse eight, Colossians one, verse eight, and, 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 and Epaphras is telling Paul about the love in the spirit. Here's what N.T. Wright says. He says, this is a love that is created by God himself. So we're not talking about walking into a room and just feeling these emotional feelings towards one another. We're not talking about joining a small group or going to a guy's prayer meeting or, or being on an outreach together and, and feeling, oh, this feels great. That is not the love and the spirit that Paul or N.T. Wright are talking about. He is talking about a love that is completely other than you. Yeah. Yeah. A love that you did not have prior to saying yes to Jesus a love that literally was created from the inside of you in the same way that you and I were created by the very breath of God himself. A love that is God's love that was created by God's spirit when God entered into your life. That is the mark of Christian fruitfulness. That is the mark of, oh, these people are different. They love their enemies. They, 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 they don't refute and reboot, uh, re, 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 have a rebuttal for every single nasty comment on Facebook. They're kind. They're gracious. Somehow they're able to stand right in the middle and see what is good about both parties and what is not good about both parties. And somehow they're trying to in love speak, speak sense to both sides. How is that? It is a love that is impossible without the spirit of God himself living inside of you. That's right. And this is why Jesus says in John 13, he says, they will know, the world will know. And by the way, we have been given platforms for the world now is watching our lives like never before. So the world is watching the fruit of our lives and they're gonna go, wait a minute, I thought, I thought you guys were in the same church together in the way that you're speaking to each other. That, if, if, that's, if that's who Jesus is, if that's what it means to be a follower of God, I don't know if I want anything to do with that. It's what Jesus said. He says, the world that is watching, the world that is watching the way that you forgive, the world that is watching the way that you argue, the, way that, the world that is watching the way that you walk in unity, even though you have completely different worldviews. Even though you completely, you voted completely differently and yet you're in the same room. You're laying hands on one another. You're coming to the same table. Yes. You're singing the same songs. You're having civil conversations. How is that? Let me tell you, it's a love that does not begin with me. It is a love that grows by God himself. 
that is now living inside of me. It's called being born again. It's the fruit of being a follower of this way. Scott McKnight talks about four characteristics of this God kind of love. I wanna break it down for you really quickly. Number one, he says the first characteristic of this God kind of love, the love that is created by the spirit is number one, it has a rugged commitment. It is a rugged commitment. And let me just differentiate this. It is not a fleeting emotion. It is not something that you just feel in the moment that gives you a sense of pleasure or a sense of excitement or a sense of affection. It is a rugged, dogged, determined commitment. It is a till death do us part. And we see this fleshed out in God's covenant commitment to the world. Right From the very moment that mankind chose to disobey God, God didn't say, well, forget you then. God said, fine, I am going to show you a rugged commitment. I am still committed to you even when you're not committed to me. I am not leaving even though you've walked away. I am going to pursue you. I'm going to stay steadfast. That's what love is. Yeah spit in my face, I'm going to wipe it off, and I'm going to turn the other side to you. That's what God kind of love is. It absorbs the weaknesses of humanity, and it responds with faithful love. Number two, a rugged commitment to be with, to be with. And if you're writing notes, you can just write the word presence. A God kind of love is a rugged commitment to be with. What does that mean? It means I will never leave you nor forsake you. It means that I want to be where you are. And we see this all in the scriptures. Again, Genesis chapter three, mankind rebels against God. Mankind is hiding because of shame and guilt from their sin. And what does God do? God comes to be with. God comes to bring his presence to bear on Adam and Eve's lives. All throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we find that God then creates a people, the nation of Israel. And he says, guys, I'm going to be present with you. In fact, let me give you dimensions to build the the biggest tent the tabernacle that, that humanity's ever seen. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the dimensions to build this tabernacle. And, it, and it's a demonstration that wherever you go in this desert, I'm always gonna be with you. Because love, the God kind of love, is a love of presence. It is a love that desires to be with, to tend to. This is why the gathering is important, by the way. Whether the gathering happens in person or online, this is why smaller groups are important because it is a commitment to be present with one another. It is is a commitment that says, even when you're going through a difficult time in your life, I want to be present with you. I don't want to just be present with you when everything's going well. I don't want to just hang out and be superficial and laugh and like I am committed to be with you no matter what is happening to you or in you. I want to be with you. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we find then that David has in his heart to build God a temple. 
It's like, God, we're not wandering anymore. We've, we've put down roots and I wanna build a temple. And God says, son, listen, I already have that in my heart. In fact, your son is gonna build this temple. I've already got the plans because I'm a God who wants to be with my people. And then we find in Jesus, in John chapter 114, the greatest demonstration of God's desire to be with his people is in the incarnation. That the word became flesh and dwelt, lived among us. Look with me in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Apostle John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. Isn't that amazing? That from the beginning of creation throughout the remainder of eternity, God's word is, guys, I, I want to be with you. I am present to you. I am tending to you. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear any evil because I'm with you. No matter what situation or circumstance, if you're grieving, I'm with you. If you're excited about something that's just happened, I'm with you. If your enemies are surrounding you, I'm with you. If you just got a negative report, I'm with you because God kind of love doesn't bail when things get tough. The third kind of love that we see demonstrated in this love of God is a love that is not just a rugged determination. It's not just a love that is to be with you, but it is a love that is for you. It is a love that is for you. Parents, I just wanna tell you, as I was reading this particular chapter, it so struck me. Professor McKnight did such a phenomenal job and he said this, he says, moms and dads, listen. He says, you're gonna to come to a place in your children's lives where you wanna give them direction. That's actually the fourth component, where you wanna, it's a love that is not just with, it's not a love that is for, it is a love that is unto. I'm loving you unto something. I'm loving you unto Christ-likeness. But prior to that, here's what Dr. McKnight says. He says, if you are not present with, and if you are not advocating for, when you get to the place where you wanna start mentoring your kids in a certain direction, they're not gonna receive it. Because we earn the right to direct kids unto when we have been with and for, right? So the God kind of love that says, I am for you says this, I'm your greatest advocate. I am your greatest advocate. And we see this in God. We see this in Jesus. We see this in 1 John chapter two, where the scriptures tell us that even though we sin, we have an advocate for us. When the enemy is just, is just wreaking havoc on our minds and our emotions, Jesus steps right in. He says, yes, your honor, I know they're guilty over all of these things, but I wanna remind you, sir, that I've actually laid down my life and I've actually spilled my blood to cover this generation of human beings. So even though our prosecuting attorney is completely true and all of his facts check out, I'm gonna step in as their advocate and I'm gonna defend them because I'm for them. Yes. It's not, true love doesn't, doesn't find something that's wrong with someone and then just exploit it. Yeah. 
True love covers that. The love of God covers that. Imagine what a community would look like, not just families, not just marriages, but an actual community of believers. Imagine what this church, the Church of Colorado Springs, would look like if we had people that when we made mistakes, we didn't have people that were rejoicing over those mistakes or sharing those mistakes publicly with the world, or using those mistakes as some form of nasty collateral against us, that we had people that were saying, I'm for you. I'm for you. I'm gonna cover, I'm gonna walk with you. We're gonna restore you. We're gonna help you. We're gonna stick with you in the middle of this. I'm gonna forgive you because I'm for you. I'm gonna be gracious and patient with this because I am for you. The fourth characteristic of this God kind of love is a love that is committed to transforming you unto something, right? It's, it's a love that's with, that's presence. It's a love that's for, that's advocacy, that's support. But it's also a love that loves us unto something. The love of God doesn't leave us where we're at, right? And this is where... This is where we have to really be careful. I see, you know, a lot of young parents with little kids that kind of just, oh, that's cute, that's sweet, it's okay. No, a love, a true love, loves people towards a certain direction, right? It may feel like, I mean, little kids will let you know, man, (laughs) right? They'll let you know. Make you feel like you're torturing them (laughs) when you say no to the Xbox. You say, you don't really need a snack right now. You can go to bed. You're supposed to be in bed right now. Ah, you don't love me. No, it's a love, it's a love that actually sets boundaries. Okay? No, you're not going to have a smartphone right now. You're only five. Okay? <laughs> or 11. <laughs> but, it's, but when we love our people towards a certain direction, sometimes we have to say hard things. Right? because we are loving them towards a certain purpose. Let's go back to Colossians chapter one. We looked at this last week and guys, we're just gonna probably hit these verses in Colossians one that I hit last week over and over again, because again, it really is the pinnacle of what Paul's after. The last three verses in Colossians chapter one, we'll begin in verse 27. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There is a direction, there is a purpose here that that we are to become like Christ, that is the hope of glory. That our lives are not always gonna be ruined and devastated and mired by sin, that we're becoming more and more like the perfect God human. We're becoming like Jesus himself. God is loving us toward that purpose, toward that aim. Look at verse 28. I love this. Jesus is the one we proclaim. We are admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Fully mature in Christ. Now, let me just bring this back down to our level here. We began by talking about the fact that Epaphras is giving report about there's something going on in this Colossian church that is good and it's right. And Paul recognizes that because of their faith in Christ, that springs from their hope that comes from heaven, he recognizes and realizes that they're loving all of the people that are in their fellowship. And this is the mark of a true Christian, okay? 
So fleshing out this love, it is a love that is committed. It is a love that is present. It is a love that advocates. And it is a love that transforms too. Now, I want to just put this in your lap this morning. What does that look like in our lives? As you think about your key relationships. Now, here's the tendency for me is I immediately, my go-to is my wife, my children, and my closest friends. I mean, that's just my go-to. And I think there's something good about that, right? Because if I'm not doing it in the closest part of the core of my life, I really have no business doing it outside of that. But I have to press beyond those key relationships. And what I'm asking you to imagine this morning is this, that when Paul writes his letters, he is not writing to individuals. He is writing to this. He is writing to a collective group of people. So when he says things like your love for all the saints and your love is fleshed out with a commitment to be present with, my question to you is, what does that look like for people that are in your own fellowship that you may not know? What does that look like for you? How do you live out a God kind of love for, for the, what, 100 people that are in the same room with you? What does that look like? What small moves, what small commitments can we make to live this kind of God love with the people that God has assigned us to. Now you can't do it with everyone, it's impossible. But just because you can't do it with everyone doesn't mean that you can't do it with someone. Think about the second thing, who are you advocating for? Who, who, are, you, who are you aching for in the spirit? Who are you pressing into their life who are you involved in such a way that your life and their life helps them grow up in God? These are good things for us to bring before the Lord, to chew on throughout the week and throughout the series as we endeavor to grow in love. Jonathan, if you would come, we're gonna come to the table this morning. What a perfect, perfect message and a perfect time for us to come and get our hearts silent and quiet and open before the Lord and allow God to guide us by his spirit into this. God, we want to be a people who demonstrate the love of God for all of your people. We just take about one minute here and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Allow the Holy Spirit to put names and faces on your radar. Allow the Holy Spirit to love you Oh God. Let this love of God be recreated in us over and over again, oh God. Let the life of the Spirit breathe afresh on the love of God within us. Father, today, where we have not walked in your love, where we have not demonstrated your love to those around us, whether in the digital space or the personal space, home, workplace, school, Father, today, right now, we receive the grace of the forgiveness of God that has been purchased through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We receive grace today. We receive mercy. Where we have not been patient where we have not believed the best, where we have not given the benefit of the doubt, where we have judged, where we have written people off. God, where we have expressed anger in unhealthy ways, we receive the mercy of God expressed in Christ Jesus today. 
Father, we ask that you would fill us, renew us in the love of God afresh and anew. Just receive that as your your truth today. Receive that, friends. The love of the Father is advocating for you, removing shame and guilt and fear, removing, standing in between the accusation of the enemy. And he's saying, you are growing in love. Let's grow in this together. Friends, would you stand with me this morning as we prepare our hearts to come and receive the body and the blood of Jesus. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was having a meal with his friends, spiritual sons, his students, his disciples. And at that meal, there was bread and there was cup. And he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, friends, this right here is my body. It is broken for you. My life, my physical being is broken, but it's broken for you that you, though many, would become one in me. Take and eat. And then he took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, friends, this is the cup of the new covenant. It's a covenant of mercy and grace. It's a covenant that has been bought by my life. It's not a covenant of law. It's not a covenant of works. It is a covenant of mercy and grace. Take it and drink it and receive the forgiveness of God. And that's what we're going to do today.